0: Good morning. Are you there? Okay, that's good. Um, how are we doing? 11 o'clock? It's only 11.21. I'm looking at the clock on the back, so that, that gives me like an hour to talk. So, Thank you. We'll see how that goes. Uh, hey, as a point of praise, I know that the band's rolling out, but I did this at the end of first service, but Austin, our guitar player for today, normally you hear him here, but he was on the guitar today. Uh, we prayed for him last fall so he could finish raising his money and get to Germany. He's doing some campus ministry over there on a team that we already have been supporting for years. But all that to say, he got the call, got called up, and so he'll be leaving us in April. So we're bittersweet once again. There goes another band member. Um, <laughs> but let's just, uh, let's just give God the glory that... Uh, so. Also let that be a bit of a warning to you, like if you hang around CCB long enough, you'll end up doing some crazy things. So um, we've seen it happen. Um, Thank you, Phil. Uh, Mark chapter 1, as uh, Ian read just a moment ago, I want to start, if you have your Bibles open to Mark chapter 1, I want to start in verse 35, which is toward the end of the story, because this is really the point of the story. Or at least the series of stories. And I'll give you some back. We'll back up and do some background here in a moment. But I just want to start here in, uh, with verse 35. Mark tells us in verse 35, very early in the morning while it was still, what's the word? Dark. Underline that. Highlight it. Think about it. Jesus got up. He left the house. And he went off to a solitary place. Some versions say deserted place. Where he did What? He prayed. And then in verse 36, it says, Simon and his companions, that's Peter, Simon Peter, came, or they went to look for him. The literal translation there is they hunted him down. And when they found him, they exclaimed, everyone is looking for you. Now, a point of interest here, no one has ever come looking for me while I was off praying. Let that be a sign. I'm guessing when you're off praying, if you have children, maybe, but otherwise, no one's seeking you out. And they say, everyone is looking for you. And so Mark gives us this little picture that's really a big picture of Jesus praying, of Jesus taking some time. It says, while it was still dark early in the morning, he dashes off into private and he prays, which... It unloads a host of questions for us. I mean, if Jesus is God in the flesh, why is he praying? And who is he praying to? And what's going on? Like, that's definitely some things that we have to wrestle with. But at the same time, we understand the Scriptures to tell us that though Jesus was divine, that he was God's son, that he was God in the flesh, God also made him experience the same humanity that you and I experience. And of course, there's the link between him and his heavenly father, God, to where they talk. They have these conversations. They, he spends time in prayer with him. Now, a couple things about this scene uh, with Jesus praying. This is the first of three big prayer um, scenes that Mark puts in his gospel. And all three of them, and this is the first one, all three of them are uh, pictures of Jesus praying in response to a crisis. Now, we'll talk about that in a moment in terms of what crisis is Jesus going through. But there's some other language in here that's very important for us just to pick up on before we back up and look at the story. One is it says, while it was still dark, and though that has something to do with the time of the day, Mark is also uh, putting into the text some pictures of what kind of situation this was for Jesus. There's a darkness surrounding the Spirit Of Jesus, enough to where he, again, dashes off and he goes to pray. And then it says that he did this in a solitary place. And again, the real translation there, this is where the NIV lets you down, it's a deserted place, a desert. And if you're just a marginal student of biblical narrative theology, the word desert has some meanings to it. It's powerful in the biblical story. It has something to do with, or everything to do with, wandering, unsure of God's presence, chaos, aloneness, uncertainty, going all the way back to the the days of the Israelites wandering in the desert. And so there's this picture of Jesus in the wilderness, which is also a picture of uncertainty and also a picture of uneasiness. I used to read this, you know, as, oh, Here's a good model for me. First thing in the morning, I pray in a solitary place. That's a good application. I mean, I'm not saying that's a bad application. But Mark is telling us something a little bit more than that, that Jesus is in prayer over some stress, some chaos, some uncertainty, some wrestling in his heart, which is why we pray, isn't it? Isn't that why we get up and like, okay, I'm going to pray about this. I'm confronted with a situation or I'm going through an experience or this is what's happening in my life and it's crazy. And so what do we do? We pray. And we should. Like when uh, the, the scriptures tell us in numerous places, when we're in those kinds of trials, we should pray. When we don't know what to do next, we should pray. If you can turn to James, it's a little book all the way in the back. Of the Bible, I'll just read you a, a riff from chapter one. Maybe you're familiar with this, but it, it's a whole chapter about trials, and then it simply says, um, in verse 15, um, not verse 15. I'm sorry. You you think I had read the Bible? <laughs> Hang with me here. <laughs> Did I tell y'all that like I can't see these words anymore? If I told you that, like I'm going, my, my vision's getting worse right in front of you. So sometimes this takes me a second to, to get down here. But it simply says in chapter 1 that we should, if we feel like we're stressed out, we're under trials. In verse 2 it says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you go through those trials of many kinds, it says, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. We know that. If we've been through difficult times, we get that. We know that we come out on the other end like better, stronger. And then he goes on to say, that perseverance has to finish its work in you so that you're mature and complete. And then right here in verse 5 is where I was looking uh, to read to you. It says, if you lack wisdom, wisdom for what? Not just general, but wisdom to get through the trial. It says you should go to God. You should ask God. So there's a call at many places in the scriptures, not at least here, that when we are in the middle of chaos, uncertainty, stress, an unsettled uh, period of our life, that we should go to God. That we should pray. And that's what we should do. That's what he's there for. He's our Father. Jesus talks about asking and seeking and knocking. Right? And when we go to him, he will listen. He hears us. And so this picture is beautiful. It's of Jesus experiencing the same sorts of things that we go through. And Mark tells us that he's also quite disciplined. It's the first thing in the morning. It's dark, and he gets up, and he goes to a deserted place, and he prays. But what's interesting is that his companions, Simon and his companions, they're hunting him down. And again, no one's ever hunted for me, which is a little bit of a conviction, like, wow, I should probably develop a prayer life to where people do start to wonder where I am. Right? And when they found him, they exclaimed. So this is like Mark saying they weren't all that excited to find him. They were upset. It's like the where have you been? I've been all over the mall and I couldn't find you. Everyone is looking for you. And that phrase gives us a little bit of an insight as to what's happening here. Everyone is looking for you. Jesus was rapidly becoming famous, fast, it's viral, it's exploding, and his disciples seem to think that he would really like that. They look for him. There's a crowd of people wanting to see him, to be with him, to hear from him, to be touched by him. And I love this behavior of Jesus because it keeps us from sort of locking him into simply just a miracle worker. One of the uh, historically one of the reasons that Mark, one of the thought reasons that Mark wrote his gospel was to debunk and steer people away from just seeing Jesus as a miracle worker. Like he is that, right? I mean he's definitely that. The resurrection is you know Exhibit A and the only exhibit we need, but there are other stories in here of his miraculous powers to heal and restore people. But Mark sets out early in the gospel, in his gospel account, to steer people away from, don't just see him as a provider of the miraculous. Don't go, because he, Jesus himself, clearly didn't see it that way either. And when the companions of Simon come and find Jesus, there's a real picture here of frustration among them that Jesus isn't living up to what he's supposed to do. What are you doing over here just praying? There's all these people that have come to see you. And so he's in a stressful state. This is early, by the way. This is chapter 1 of Mark. I mean, we're early in the game. And Jesus is already going through this. So that's what we do. We go to God when we need it. We go to God when there's stress. We go to God when we're uneasy, when we need direction and guidance, and when we feel like failures. And what strikes me as most interesting about this text is there's nothing about the stories that precede the prayer time of Jesus that are anything other than success. There's nothing about what we're going to back up and look at that Ian has read for us already, that doesn't scream success. Jesus isn't praying on his own because of failure. He seems to be praying because of his success. Now, sometimes we like—I'll say this again at the end—but we, we, we group things into trials and success and blessing. And one is good and one is bad. But the Bible seems to also share the same sentiment about success as it does about failure, that they're both empty. That sometimes we can mistake blessing for success. Like, I finally got what I've been wanting, or i worked hard enough and got this, and what a blessing it is. And it may be a blessing, but it as it is as empty sometimes as failure. And I think that we would do very well to pay attention to this. Let's just back up. Let's come out of that hole for a minute. If you were here last Sunday, anybody? CCB's a weird place. Like half of you probably weren't here, and then the other half were here, and, and then it'll do that next week. It takes about eight weeks to get everybody through here. Um, we thought about just writing eight different versions of the same sermon. Uh, so that, that'll work out. But let's just back up. If you were here last week, this, this run of two teachings started in verse 21. Although our text today is twenty-eight through, uh, or 29 through 39, it started. The whole story really began in verse 21 where it began saying that Jesus, they, he and his disciples went to Capernaum when the Sabbath came. So here we are on the morning of the Sabbath, and then from verses 21 through 39, Mark records a day in the life of Jesus, and it's a pretty amazing day. I mean, it begins with Jesus in the synagogue, he's teaching, and he says to us in verse 22, everybody's amazed at the way Jesus teaches, because he teaches with authority. And again, if you were here last week, all that simply means is that Jesus was his own footnote. He didn't need any reference points. He was just speaking out of his own, you know, character, which is he is God. And so this is kind of this authority that we're talking about. He didn't need to lean on anything else. He was able to teach, and people were amazed about it and by it. And then in the midst of the synagogue service, the congregation, this guy stands up, and it says, Mark says he has an evil spirit. He's possessed by this darkness. And it lashes out at Jesus. It yells at Jesus. And then it says that Jesus healed the man. He doesn't condemn the man. He doesn't throw him out. He doesn't have a debate with him. He just heals him. And then it says, uh, all the people in verse 27 were amazed, clearly, and they asked each other, what is this, a new teaching and with authority? The Greek there is right on. Like, did you see that? We were here for that. That's not actually the Greek, but you know what I'm saying. And so last week we learned that when Jesus says things, things happen. The authority of his word is illustrated there. Plus, people were just amazed by that. So it's a pretty successful morning at the synagogue. And then in verse 29, as soon as they left the synagogue, they went with James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew. There's an excavation site in the area of Capernaum, where there is a a house and a synagogue side by side. They've built a church on top of the house. And most people believe this is where Peter lived. And the synagogue was either connected to his home or right next door. And so this, as soon as they left the synagogue, is literal. Like they walked out and then into or through the home of Peter, Simon Peter and Andrew. And he had a big place. Some of the teachings in Capernaum take place uh, where it says like the whole town came And the courtyard, they fit into the courtyard of this house. We often like think of the disciples as everybody was in poverty and Jesus was homeless. But the truth is, Simon has a home, he has a family, he has influence. And so they walk into his home, and it says here that Simon's mother-in-law, in verse 30, was in bed with a fever. And they told Jesus about her. And so he went and he took her hand and helped her up. Isn't that beautiful, by the way? His healing of Simon Peter's mother-in-law was just that he took her hand and helped her up. And it says the fever left her and that she began to wait on them. The word there is the word diakoneo, deacon, serve, table waiter. Not because she's a female. That's not what you need to read here. It's just It's a a, a symbol of gratitude. She's been healed, restored, because you know that a fever in the ancient world is no small. I mean, you die. And so when Jesus heals her of this fever, it's extraordinary for her. She's gotten her life back. And she's gotten her, like, status back in the home. Like, she can do the things that she used to always do. And so that's the first thing she does. Following her restoration, she serves And so theologically, Mark's giving us a nice picture here of, this is what a true disciple looks like, by the way. Once you've been restored and renewed by Christ, you serve. You change your life back to or to a life of service. So we have this nice picture, like, they're in the synagogue that morning. Jesus teaches with authority. He heals a man. Everybody's amazed. It begins to spread for sure immediately. They leave the synagogue. They go into Simon Peter's house. Simon Peter's mother-in-law is sick. He heals her. Of course they're grateful, right? And look at verse 32. That evening after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and the demon-possessed. And then Mark, using hyperbole here, the whole town gathered at his door. Like this was so well-known that everybody that could get there was there. Now they do it after evening or after sunset because it's the Sabbath day. You can't carry anything very far on the Sabbath. So when the sun goes down, they all pick up their sick and they carry them to Jesus to be healed. Success. Fame. The thing that God sent him here to do is working. Are you with me on this? Like, this is what Mark is showing us. It's, everything is working right. And then in verse 34, it says, and Jesus healed many who had various diseases and so on and so forth. It's working And uh, he just throws it in there, various, I mean, meaning there's a lot of things going on here. He also drove out many demons, he says, but he would not let the demons speak because he knew who he was. So there's a little bit of tension here about, I want to do this for you. I love you. I have compassion for you and over you. But at the same time, this is sort of frightening to me as well. And so what Mark paints for us from 21 verses 21 through 34 is everything Jesus was doing was working. Successful. Now, think about your last 24 hour day. Well, they're all 24 hours. (laughs) But think about, you know, your last day. I'll just tell you about my days. I would say that most of the things I do during the day are not successful. Are you with me on that? Like, you try things and it just doesn't always work. I mean, some things are successful. And do you ever have the days where uh, from the moment you step out the door, things go wrong? And then then you start to feel like this is going to be a bad day. Are you with me on that? Um, When we went to um, pick up our adopted baby girl... It was one of those mornings where everything worked right, you know, like because we got the phone call and then we had to get on the first train to get to the airport at like 5 a.m. and get on the plane to go to LA. We j- it just kept working. It was like, because we had, we were basically on a buddy pass to get out there, which is a little bit risky when you're going to adopt, by the way. Uh, and so we, we walked down to the train station. I mean, the moment we got there, the train came up, boom, it's empty. We got a front seat. Of course it's empty. It's Sunday morning at 5 a.m. Uh, we head down to the airport. We get to the airport and like all the standby seats are wide open. Like it's just, we're the first name on the list. It's like, this is going to be a good day. Are you right? Are you with me on that? you have days like that where it's like the moment you start the day, your feet hit the ground, you think, I think things are going to fall into place today. And then there's the other days where like the moment your feet hit the ground, um, you step on something, you hurt your foot. Like, here we go. You bang your knee into the table, the milk spills on the floor. It's just one of those days. Do you know what I'm talking about, or am I just alone in this? Okay. And then there are the people in your life, and I have these people in my life, where everything they touch turns to gold. Don't we love those people? Like, it's just, you know, I'm a pastor, so let me just speak to you from that world. This doesn't mean anything to you. But, like, there are just certain pastor friends of mine. It's like, really, like, everything you do works Every sermon is awesome. Every program you implement at your church is successful. You just keep going up and to the right. You're giving all this stuff away in missions money. Every You're hiring the best people. You have the best bands. You have the best building. You have the best website, whatever that is. And, like, it you ha, I have these people in my life, and you're like, really? I mean, do you ever get on your knees and just go, I don't know what's going on? Does that ever happen? Of course it happens. But, like, there's just people who, like, The perception is everything works for them. Everything is successful for them. And you have those people in your life too. They are the people at your company that always, they're the go-to people, you know, because they, everything they touch just turns to gold. And they drive us crazy. And then we start thinking, if I could just be there, if I could just be in that situation, if I could just have half of the success rate as they, then I'd feel better about myself or whatever, but things would be better. And when I think about my days, some days are better than others, some days are worse than others, and the consistency in my days is that they're always very inconsistent. Success and failure are a constant back and forth just the way it works. But Mark has been very careful to show us that every single thing that Jesus set out to do was being done. And if you just think about the larger picture of the story of Jesus, if he wanted somebody to see and they were blind, they saw. If he wanted somebody to walk for the first time in years, they walked. If he wanted the deaf to hear, they could hear. Next week, we'll look at him healing a leper. And if he wanted them to be healed and cleaned, they were healed and clean. If he wanted to teach and settle the score, he could do it. Every single thing that he did worked. And yet, it's not enough. It's not enough to keep him from getting up Going out into the dark, in a dark place, in a deserted place, and, and praying for strength. A reminder that success and the success rate of everything we do is sometimes just as empty as the failure. It's not just about reminding us the story of Jesus that we should pause in the midst of great success and thank God for those things, which we should, like definitely. But it's also a reminder in a dark and kind of frightening way that there can also be an emptiness to success. And ultimately that our hope, our stability, our well-being, it doesn't rest on that. That's the thing. What is Jesus upset about? What is he troubled over? This is, a, this is the first picture of Jesus sort of recognizing that there's a pretty superficial level of faith in him. These people just want what I can give them. He's learning early on that all these things that he can do miraculously, that's all people want. He will say later in another gospel, when people ask for a miracle, he calls them a wicked and corrupt generation. That's all he want are signs. That's all they want are miracles. And so we get the first glimpse here that he's troubled enough by his fame and what people really want from him that it causes him to retreat, to turn his back really on everything that's happening and to go into the desert and to pray. And don't we know this to be true? I mean, don't we know like maybe you have people in your life that are like this, but don't we see this all the time in celebrities? Like we look at their life and go, if I could have that, and then they just fall off the wagon. They lose their minds. They go crazy. They have a million followers on Twitter, and they say, I'm lonely. I have no friends because people only want things from me. And Jesus hears this phrase from his disciples. Dude, everyone is looking for you. Don't you know what that means? That's what we're doing this for. It's working, man. It's working. Thinking that he would be excited to hear that. It's just weird because at the end of a very successful day, all was not well with Jesus. And it's one of those things Mark does early in his gospel is that he shows us how Jesus was bringing God's kingdom to the world through the renewal and restoration of people's lives, healing them of all sorts of things. And it's such a fast-paced gospel. Like like Hemingway, Mark just gives us these short, fast-paced riffs and stories about what Jesus was doing and how it was working and how God's kingdom was coming through him and all sorts of things were getting done and accomplished. And we're getting a picture of what resurrection looks like. Spiritual resurrection, relational resurrection, and ultimately physical resurrection. We're getting all of that from verse 21 to 34. It's pretty clear that this Jesus is the real deal and it's working. And then he just puts the brakes on and does a complete 180. And if we're reading it fast enough, which Mark would like us to do, we get whiplash. Because Jesus retreats and says no. No and goes off and seeks strength from God. In the midst of momentum and at the well of success, Jesus remained thirsty. A reminder for me and for you that we can get everything we want, but if it doesn't hang on God, it's as hollow as our failures. Amen. It's a tough text. I I tried to resurrect this one. I, I you know, I kept reading it and looking at it and going through it and going. I just I don't know what to say about uh, a fever. I just don't I don't know what the redeeming. You know, this lady had a fever. We all have fevers spiritually, and uh, you know I just didn't know where to go with that. You know. <laughs> I didn't know what to do with, um, you know, everybody being brought to Jesus, and it fills up the courtyard, and wow, this is, you know, I, I didn't know. I didn't know what to do with it. And the thing was, like, the more I studied, and, of course, I have a library of things that I read through, and it's like nobody, nobody was going to verse 35. Nobody. It was all about the miraculous. And then right when I about, was about to give up, I picked up a book, a, a commentary on the life of Jesus, it's about this big and it was written by an old deceased professor at the school I went to and um, I opened it up to this chapter and he, I mean, verse 35 for him just explodes off the page. And then I started reading more and more and gathering more resources and then finding a well of information about what this is and just being, because I wanted there. I mean, when I opened the text to get ready for this passage or this sermon, like I wanted it to go to verse. That's where I wanted it to go, you know, because that's where I need to go. And so I like preaching about things that I need because it's just easy, you know. And sometimes you're just along for the ride. I know, but but I'm so uh, I'm 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 so um, what's the word? Convicted by this. I mean, I think that's the right word. I mean, just like there is a little bit of, you know, the surface-level conviction is that, okay, if Jesus can get up early and pray, then I can do the same thing. Like, there is that part. But the part that's more convicting for me is that he felt the need to do that at the end of one of the greatest days. And not a thanksgiving prayer, but a prayer for strength and a prayer that he wouldn't grow weary in his mission. And I don't do that at the end of great days. I thank God For the success, not knowing that I might be asking for the most dangerous thing, and that's some sort of fulfillment from success. Does that make sense? And understanding the delicacy with which I must hold success, because tomorrow might be a failure, but God doesn't change. And it was never about either of those two things, anyway. And so, as we run up to the end of this epiphany season, which the heart of this season is about recognizing and celebrating who Jesus is, and all these stories that the gospel writers are showing us are just simply there to say, oh, here's another story about who Jesus is, here's another example of what he does. Here's another thing for you to hang your faith on. We get a story like this, like almost a wrench in the whole flow of things. Because it's been, up until today, it's been very Jesus-like. It's been very, like, all the things that we've looked through have been very expected. Like, that's the picture we get of Jesus. And then we drop down into this thing where it's like, okay, Jesus is just in prayer, and he's struggling, and it's at the end of success and fame and all these great things. I mean, it's what he came for. And yet he felt the need to, like, balance that and get control of that and ask for strength from God, his Father, through that. It's like Mark is saying, before we go on any further in the story, you need to know that, yes, Jesus is God in the flesh, here and now, with skin on. Yet, as uh, Philippians 2, verse 6 says, we'll close with this. He says, um, who, describing Jesus, being in very nature God, he did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. And that's the beginning of a long poem that Paul writes about Jesus and that even though he knew, I mean, at the power of his own words, could do anything, he did not consider that something to be grasped, something to hold on to, something, you know, And so it is a call to prayer. It's definitely that sermon. It's definitely a call to being with our Father and giving him our troubles. But I think specifically it's a call for us to remember that we need him both in the failures and in the successes. And Jesus becomes a model for that. And I think it's beautiful. And so with that, I want us to leave uh, as we do each week by doing communion together. And uh, if you're new with us, uh, or if you've been with us a long time, uh, we do this each Sunday, and uh, there are four tables around the room. Um, we've changed the rules a little bit. Uh, we Not that we never didn't allow you, but we allow you to take that back to your seat if you would like, uh, as long as you um, are okay with that. But if you want to stay at the table, you can do that. But uh, after I pray, we just invite you to move to one of these four tables, two in the front, two in the back, and then... Um, and use, this, use these few moments as just a reminder uh, that God, uh, of God's love and mercy, uh, that he sent his son into the world for you and for me. And, um, and so we do that each week. There's also the offering boxes on the tables, and that's uh, fairly self-explanatory. And, um, and so after I pray, you can make your way to one of those four tables. And then just remain in here because we'll sing a song or two on the way out. So let's pray together. God, thank you for um, these little pictures of who your son was and is. And, um, and when we read them, when we study them, uh, we're challenged by them, we're inspired by them. And God, today's picture of your son just off in the desert praying, needing strength, needing reassurance, needing um, more faith, perhaps, in his mission, and his calling, and his vocation. And God what a powerful example that at the end of a pretty momentous day, he still was drawn to his knees and God help us like get just get that into our lives that whether failing or succeeding we we still need you the same and that uh, you carry us in different ways through different seasons and through failure you you pick us up and carry us a certain way. And through success, you want to carry us through that too. And, um, and so, God, I just pray for those in the room today that are in both of those camps, some who feel um, trapped in failure, some who feel trapped in no movement forward, that you would remind them that one step out of their situation is, is no better with you. And God for those who just like everything works for them. God we just pray that you turn their hearts back to you and that you remind them today, through your word, that it may not be uh, it, it may not be uh, natural to think this way, but they need you more than anything, particularly with success. And God, most of all, we thank you for your love and mercy, uh, which, illustrated through this communion, covers a multitude of sins, and as a reminder that you walk with us through the failings, through the succeedings, through the sin, through the purity, through the ups and downs. And God, as a church family, as we take this together, just encourage us and lift up this room in praise as we close in song. And it's in your name that we pray.